0: Hello, and thank you for joining us on the Stay Healthy Knoxville podcast, brought to you by Simply Physio, aimed at helping you live an enjoyable, fit, and healthy life in and around our community of Knoxville, Tennessee. And now, here is your host, Dr. John Mark Chesney.
1: Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm uh, super excited about our guest on the show. So this is the first time that we actually have two guests. So we're going to see how it goes. And um, hopefully it'll just um, be a home run. But we got two guests and they're um, two guys that I know very well. Um, first one is Daniel Park. Uh, Daniel's a lifelong friend, um, also um, an expert in the field of uh, emotional health. And uh, he he's from Knoxville, uh, married with uh, four... Kids. Uh, he's also a real estate agent, has his um, bachelor's in psychology from Clemson University, and also a master's in organizational leadership from Con- uh, Concordia University, and is also a certified uh, professional coach from Con- uh, Concordia University. So we're going to be um, talking um, with both guests, um, Geerd. and More towards uh, uh, Daniel and his expertise uh, on the front half of the show. In the second half, um, we're going to get into more of um, Nick Nico. So Nick Nico is also um, here in Knoxville. He's um, originally from New Orleans. Uh, Nick was um, a a youth leader when I was in high school. So it goes back also a number of years, a graduate of University of um, Tennessee here in Knoxville, married with two kids, He's been uh, a realtor and continues to be so uh, with Keller Williams for the past 14 years, and also serves on many uh, local nonprofits um, here in Knoxville. So, guys, Nick Daniel, welcome to Stay Healthy Knoxville. Thank you. It's fun to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you guys. Look forward to uh, our our topic on emotional health. Right, this is uh, the first time we've really gotten in uh, gotten into, you know this aspect of health. So I'm glad to introduce this to um, the Knoxville community um, here, listeners of say, healthy Knoxville. Um, so Daniel, um, we'd love to start um, hearing more from your backstory, um, how you got into the field of um, of emotional health, of mm-hmm. psychology, like your interest. like take us back to like where you really saw, uh, that interest and how that's developed, I guess, over you know mm-hmm. over your adult um, life and career.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So you know, Joe Mark, we've known each other a long time, and uh, I think we met maybe when we were three, probably. I was trying to put it back there, but um, so you know, when I was uh, in high school, you know, here in Knoxville, we were you know, living life, doing normal things, as we had conversations about what are we going to do when we're older? I remember there was this very vague, but um, very clear message in my head. And that was that I wanted to help people. And I know that, you know, teachers help people, doctors help people, firemen help te- people, you know, that it can apply to lots and lots of fields. But I I remember thinking that that's just something that I'm very passionate about. And I don't know what context that'll look like. And so when we were um, roommates at Clemson and I was studying psychology because it was interesting, I didn't have a great plan, I just thought, I like this class, so maybe I'll make this my major. So, um, you know, a couple times I thought about going into counseling, but it just never really felt like the right fit for me. And, man, it it was more than a decade after we finished school at Clemson that, I was I was kind of floundering, honestly. I was in a place where I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I was in my early 30s. We had three kids. I'm like, I kind of feel like I should have this figured out, but I, I don't. And a good friend of mine helped me um, go out to California and spend some time with Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. And that week out there was extremely uh, helpful and um, really, a defining moment for me, both personally, as I grew and basically found myself in group therapy, which was really helpful for me., um, but I also learned about this field of um, emotional health and and tying that to organizations and individuals and leadership. And so that's what drew me to do the master's program in organizational leadership and A lot of the program that I did at Concordia is focused on emotional intelligence, emotional health, psychology, and helping people learn how to navigate some of the emotional challenges that we all face in life, regardless of what field we're in, what our family looks like. We all have challenges facing, you know, rejection, failure, motivation, um, self-awareness. All those things are really important, so... Anyway, that's kind of a long answer to your question, but that's what led me to really want to get involved in this field and
1: ultimately what I hope to do as a career going forward. So, sure. And um, can you describe a little bit more? Um, you said this field, um, just for our guests. So, the field of. Uh,
2: yeah. So, generally, I would call it consulting. Some people call it coaching, but it's okay. around organizational psychology. Um, is the idea, so working with organizations and individuals on
1: their personal development, emotional health, all those sorts of things and you um, you mentioned a, a term um, emotional intelligence mm-hmm. so I feel like that 's uh, maybe a term that 's you know out and about more maybe you know some of our listeners have heard of that term. Mm-hmm would love for you to really describe what that is yeah. and how can someone know if they have or what their emotional <laughs> IQ is, right? Sure, sure. Um, so
2: that's the idea is some people call it EQ um, because it's similar to your IQ, but it's from a more emotional standpoint. IQ, a lot of um, research has been done that would suggest that you're really born with your IQ. It's your ability to learn. So it's not necessarily the number of facts you know at any given point, but your ability to learn new information. EQ is really the emotional side of that. And so Daniel Goleman is really the um, grandfather, godfather, I don't know what to call him, but he wrote the book called Emotional Intelligence uh, that came out years ago, and he puts it in five different categories, first one being self-awareness, which is really important, and it's it's more than just a personality tool like the Myers Briggs or the DISC because you know we're only as self aware as we are already self aware so sometimes it helps to have something like what's called an EQ 360 where you get that's an assessment where you have your friends family maybe your spouse um, also fill out some personality profiling based on you so because we all have blind spots there's all I did it recently for school, and I personally thought I was great with change. I learned from uh, some coworkers and from my spouse and friends that I'm actually not very good at it. So, um, it's helpful, you know, in terms of self self awareness. So, what what getting back to what Daniel Goleman says, kind of the five parts of emotional intelligence are self awareness. Like I said, self regulation. So once you know you what you're feeling. What do you do with that? How do you regulate that in a healthy way or an appropriate way? Whether you're in business or working with kids or you know whatever it is, um, motivation is the third. Um, empathy is the fourth, which is really my personal favorite, and then people skills would be the fifth, which is a general way of saying you have the ability to really connect with people. Mm-hmm.
1: So, more to like to read. I guess part of that is yeah. reading somebody's. Like non nonverbal. Yes,
2: absolutely. There's a lot of nonverbal communication that you can read, and Nick Nick will talk about this later. But we in real estate, we get to see that a lot because real estate is such an emotional experience for most people. That you can you can pay attention to their nonverbals and kind of figure out you know how you need to respond to really help them in that moment. So,
1: gotcha. And you said that um, empathy. Is one of your what do you said favorites?
2: Yeah, empathy is my personal favorite. I say that because I think it's it's a skill. You know, I don't I wouldn't call it just a trait that necessarily people are born with. Some people may be more inclined to be empathetic than others, but it's something you can really learn to do. And first, I mean, just to define it, sympathy is feeling bad for somebody. Empathy is connecting with somebody in what they're feeling. So again, um, this comes up in real estate a lot, but it really can come up in in any facet of life. If someone, well, maybe I'll say it this way. My son, Reese, one night was going to bed and he was having a really hard time and he kept getting out of bed and I kept putting him back in bed and he's four and that's happened sometimes. Um, But this time I decided to try something a little different. So I started asking him more questions. I was being curious. And he said, well, when I close my eyes, I keep seeing this dragon. So I get scared. So I want to come out. I'm like, Oh, buddy, that sounds really scary. So, you know, before I would have thought, well, I just need to tell him it's not real. It's just in your head. Go to sleep. But I realized, no, that's not what he needs in this moment. He needs empathy. And so I spent a couple minutes just connecting with him and saying, that does sound really scary what does this dragon even look like and he said it's green and it's big and i was like is it doing anything he said it's it's fighting and i thought oh my goodness that sounds so scary he was like it is dead and then he goes okay i can go to bed now and i was like oh oh okay so he just needed a moment you know logic me telling him that's not real don't worry about dragons you know, you'll be fine, wasn't going to help. He needed someone to empathize and really connect with him. And so he could kind of come down and relax a little bit. And now I tell that story, I'm not always great at that. So this was, I felt like I got a master's to teach me how to, you know, parent my kids when they're having trouble sleeping. So,
1: sure. And that's, um, I guess this may be a generalization, but um, typically, I guess maybe men, are a little yes. bit more logical, yes, and thinking. So, yeah. would that be a counter um, to like empathizing? Like logic are a little bit opposed to each other, or yeah, I think so.
2: I, so, from a neurology standpoint, when someone is in what's called fight or flight, or some psychologists add freeze or fold into that, they're in this very emotive state, and so in their brain, they're really operating out of their amygdala. And so using logic really doesn't help them. It It's like, it'd almost be like speaking a foreign language. It just doesn't register. And so what is important to do, and this is where empathy comes in, is meeting them in that emotive state and trying to feel with them. Um, that's a, a great definition of empathy is just feeling with somebody. And so by doing that, their brain typically will calm down to a place where they can move to their prefrontal cortex, which is more logical, more kind of linear thinking, and then they can make good decisions or not be as rattled or feel that kind of intensity of the fight or flight. So I don't know if that makes sense, but it's it's the idea of really helping people shift from one part of their brain to the other so that they can calm down essentially sure which which actually brings me to something. That I've also learned in parenting that you guys may relate to is telling a kid to calm down when they're not calm is really not effective at all. I don't know if you can relate to that, but yelling it
1: at them, right? Yes,
2: exactly. (laughs) Yelling calm down, exactly.
1: Yeah. Um so well I'm sure that um I think the yeah, the topic of empathy is like a really interesting one. And um while we're discussing it, like maybe I know you give an example for your child, mm-hmm. um, and maybe it's not that much, you know, different for an adult. But you know where um, where that can uh, relate to maybe a situation mm. for an adult where um, having the ability to tap into the empathetic side versus mm-hmm. the logical side can really be a game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, from your experience, does I mean, a certain uh, example come to mind? Yeah, yeah, actually.,
2: um, so I finished my master's program last May, and prior to that, one of my classmates who lives in Dallas, um, he called me one day and said, "Hey, I just got assigned this project, and I'm kind of freaking out. I'm, I'm not good at this. I don't really know what to do. I don't even know how to get started. And I just need to know, can you relate to that? And I thought there for a second. And my first instinct was to say, to tell him, maybe there's a guy down your hall that can help you out. He's maybe better at this. And so why don't you just go ask for some help? But I, in that moment of pause, I thought, no, he, he just asked me if I can relate. He didn't ask for a suggestion. And so... I sat for a moment and said, you know what? I can relate to that. And it reminds me of this time when I got assigned this project, when I had this other job. And man, I just felt stuck because it was out of my wheelhouse. I, I, I really didn't know how to begin. So I certainly can relate to what you're feeling right now. And he goes, wow, I feel better. I was like, great. Okay. And I thought, oh, that's kind of weird. So we hung up the phone. It was not a long conversation. He texted me about 30 minutes later and said, Hey, great news. I went down the hall and I asked this guy to help me with this project. And he said, Yeah, I'd love to. And we're going to knock it out this afternoon. And I thought, That's so odd that he didn't need an answer. He didn't need a suggestion. He just needed someone to connect Mm -hmm. because what he was able to do then uh, from an neuroscience standpoint was move from his brain to where he could think more logically. So I think most people can figure out kind of their own problems or their own issues if they have someone meet them in that emotional state and connect with them. And relating is a great way to do it. Now, I will give a quick caveat that I've I've mentioned before that in that relating instance, it's good to not make that a 10-minute conversation about yourself. It's good to keep it short because... Um, you know, maybe a minute or even thirty seconds of connecting saying, Yeah, I relate to that. But if you start to drag on and on, suddenly the conversation becomes about you and your story instead of theirs. Sure. Um
1: with um dealing with, you know, stress, a lot of times, like the example that you gave, you know, this um friend called you cause he was in a state of some mm-hmm. level of stress, right? Yeah. And the stress was, you know, blocking him from really seeing things clearly mm-hmm. um, and being able to tap into like, Hey, you know what you're um, just relating to and let him, mm-hmm. him know that, um, that it's normal to be, you know, feeling this. He's not mm-hmm. the only one, like it gives somebody some level of like clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, why is it important for you personally to learn, uh, for our listeners to learn how to navigate stress
2: Yeah, that's a great question. you know, thinking back to that example, um, most people would not have reached out to somebody in that situation that my friend was in. They would have just, I I don't know, tried to figure it out, tried to do their best. Um, But the reason I think it's really important in those stressful moments to connect with somebody, and that somebody needs to be a safe person, because, again, the goal here is, is connection it's not a solution necessarily and if you don't do that i believe and i think there's plenty of research research to support it that unaddressed stress really can lead to some dark things like addiction um you know it can lead to family issues um you know parenting challenges. If, if we don't address stress in a healthy way, and I think, you know, that's one example is reaching out to somebody who's a safe person for some empathy is a healthy way. There's other healthy ways like, um, taking a few minutes to breathe. I know that sounds a little silly, but Joe I know as a doctor, you probably can understand that when people are really in a stressful moment, their, their breath shortens. Change this yeah. And which, Heightens their blood pressure, which just kind of escalates what they're feeling anyway. Um, I, I had a stressful situation a couple months ago and reached out to a friend, and I, I feel like I know the answers, but he still had to remind me, Hey, you need to breathe, slow down a second. And so, and it really helps. You know, I think also sometimes people aren't available when you're reaching out. And so, taking a couple minutes to journal write down what you're experiencing, what you're feeling in that moment can help you address that stress in a healthy way um, so that it doesn't escalate and get to, um, you know, some really unhealthy places.
1: Sure. Yeah. And, you know, the breathing strategy, this one that I find, you know, with a client who... Um, is just generally like if somebody has just stress, usually mm-hmm. you'll find that in their muscles. Like, I believe it. Yeah, ten, ten spots and trigger points, and um, and then if it's there, then they're not moving well, and that can be a large point of um, why they're coming in for treatment um, mm-hmm. in the clinic. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, breathing is like is one that's really helps. Mm-hmm. But it's tapping into a lot of it is just you know just letting things kind of just go and. And breathing in a way that helps to re kind of release some of Mm -hmm. that muscular tone.
2: Right, right. And yeah, I think it's really important to turn to, you know, methods like that rather than some really unhealthy practices that
1: people tend to
2: cope with. So yeah, that's a good question.
1: Sure. And then kind of back to the emotional intelligence. How do you see ways that emotional intelligence benefits people? Maybe in any industry or phases of life, and um, was actually the emotional intelligence, like um, with that question. um, I believe it was in a recent sermon, it came up Mm -hmm. in our church. And um, um, you may maybe can uh, validate this if this is correct, but I (laughs) believe the statement was that um, the predictors of success in somebody like in the workplace is mostly um, like if they're trying to find some predictor, mm-hmm. the highest predictor is somebody's emotional, mm-hmm. IQ or however you state it, their emotional, emotional. intelligence Right, is a, a very strong predictor for actually them being successful like in the workplace. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, it, it not only benefits people's just kind of um, place in life and development and growth, but also, like you said, their ability in the workplace. So... There's been some different studies. Google did one. You know, Google um, did something called Project Aristotle where they researched their own employees over the course of a decade, I believe, to see who are the highest highest performers in our company mm. and what are their characteristics. And, you know, Google is a technical technology company, so you would think that it's science, technology, engineering, mathematics. It's the people that score highest in those categories. But after that research, they realized, oh, wow. No, it's not. It's actually the people that scored highest in what's called emotional intelligence. So the idea that um, people can empathize, can connect on an emotional level, have high self-awareness, all those things that we were talking about earlier, those were the highest performers. And there's been a couple other studies where, um, I think it was the Carnegie Institute of Technology did one where they determined that 85% of an individual's financial success in the workplace is due to their skills in what they call human engineering but again around the idea of emotional intelligence or these soft skills that we're talking about the connecting with people
1: so if um one of our listeners is really interested in like tapping into like like really what is my emotional intelligence Mm. any resources or, um, kind of starting points for somebody just to, I, I mean, I would just assume the first step is like, like, where am I at this? Like, how am I? Sure. Like, where do I fall? Like, what score do I get? Right. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. I mean, uh,
2: I'm joking, but not, but you could ask your friends yeah. because they'll hopefully be pretty honest with you if you score high on the, or your spouse, if you have one. Um, but, you know, I think self-awareness is really so foundational to this that that's where I would suggest people to start. So by by moving into that, it's researching um, tools like the Myers-Briggs uh, personality profiling system or the DISC. Um, the Enneagram is a great one because um, you kind of have to work at that one. Um And then ask for some feedback. I think that's just really an important tool. I I know I was kind of joking earlier about getting your friends to weigh in, but ask people, how do I come across to you? Am I warm or, you know, can you relate to me? You know, getting, getting the input of those who know you best is really important. Um, so I think that's, probably where I would suggest. And then there's plenty of books, you know, emotional intelligence by Daniel Goleman is a great one. He also, I think co-authored one called primal leadership, which is another great one to check out. Um, and then, you know, I, I mentioned before Dr. Henry cloud and Dr. John Townsend, they've got some incredible books, one specific that jumps out to me that's not as popular from them, but it's called how people grow. And it's a great one, um, to get into this a little more.
1: So, um, so, yeah, so you mentioned one of the easiest things is just to ask mm-hmm. um, ask the people that are close to you, right? You said if yeah. you have a spouse, if you have or just your friends, hopefully you have some friends, yeah <laughs> two friends to ask, some close friends, yeah, some people that you relate with coworkers, yeah, it could be one too, yeah,
2: and I think it's important to mention that um it's good to be in a teachable mindset, Mm -hmm. you know, because you can really go in and get your feelings hurt pretty quickly doing that. But if you're in a space where you really want to grow and you really want to have a better grasp of your own kind of skill set, self-awareness, all those things we've been talking about, um, coming from a place of humility where you want some input, I think that's a great place
1: to go. Sure. And then, um, let's say somebody gets some feedback that's maybe a little bit on, um, of uh, the colder side, mm-hmm. they're um, just like, hey, this is an area that you could probably work on. Yeah. What, um, maybe some practical steps of, like if somebody does go to that step of, you know, asking mm-hmm. some people, um, what would be the next step as far as like, hey, this is something I really want to work on, improving myself, mm-hmm. improving my emotional intelligence, improving my empathy, you know, self-awareness. Mm-hmm. How would somebody go about like taking that next step
2: yeah so you know most people don't love to hear negative or critical feedback i think that's a pretty common trait among humans um i would say you know a a great next step when you have that is processing that with a safe person kind of like what we've been talking about here but um reach out to somebody else and say, hey, I just got this feedback. I'm not asking you to tell me if you agree or disagree. I just need to tell you how it made me feel. And spend a couple minutes talking about, man, it really hurt, and I think it's true, whatever that it is they shared, or, or however you want to process it. I don't need to put words in people's mouths, but um, I think it's good to process that with a safe person. Again, I think there's some real strength in journaling sometimes that safe person's not available. And so taking a few minutes, I'd even suggest doing it by hand, not just on your phone or your computer, because I think that slows you down a little bit to write it out um, by hand. But just saying, I just received this feedback. This is kind of how I'm experiencing it. And that'll help you kind of slow down to then look at it more objectively from a logical standpoint. Like, oh man, maybe I do have a short temper with my coworkers what are some things I can do to work on this, you know, and get some help. Coaches are great. Counselors are great. Yeah. I'm big on people going to therapy. I think it's really helpful, and that may be a
1: good outlet for people to process this. Sure, yeah, and I think that's, like you like you said, that um, if somebody's really going the next step, when it's like showing, like, what if you're even asking somebody, like, you're probably ahead right. of the curve by. true. Mm -hmm. most people being kind of setting yourself up in a, in a way that you could receive, you know, a Mm -hmm. few strikes (laughs) against you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it goes, you know, shows a lot about what your character and um, Mm -hmm. what you're striving to do. So can be encouraged if you're even that vulnerable to, to ask, you know, that Mm -hmm. step. But, but yeah, I think like you said, of having, um, you know, some people that you can work through that with, Mm -hmm. you know, some people have to work through it by themselves mm-hmm. to some degree, but I know I tend to be one that I need to, you know, process some internally. But mm-hmm. I think my fault is, you know, if I stay there then I um I'd never gain the opportunity to have somebody else speak in, you mm-hmm. know, into that even further.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's good. Well, um, Well, yeah, I want to kind of transition here. We're going to have a break here in just a second um, to hear a word from our uh, sponsor. So you guys hang with us. We're going to, um, still along the same topic of uh, emotional health and transitions and stress, we're going to lead into an example that I'm sure everybody has experienced, or if you haven't yet, you will at some point. As far as a big life changer of moving, buying a sell or selling a house and really giving some practical examples of how we can navigate the emotional um, stress of that so that people can come out on the other side and just in a healthy state so mm-hmm. stay with us um, and we'll be back in just a minute
0: stay healthy knoxville sponsored by simply physio a physio clinic that equips and empowers you to live your life to the fullest so that you can enjoy the things you love to do and be the person you are made to be. Simply Physio specializes in helping people get back to a healthy and active lifestyle, living free from pain and medication, and avoiding unnecessary surgery. Stay tuned until the end of the episode to receive a special gift from Simply Physio and enjoy listening to the rest of the episode. Welcome back to uh, the show. So we're just a slight
1: transition here. Still the same topic, but want to just nail down some more specific um, applications of the topic of um, stress, emotional health, um, but in the terms of buying or selling a house. So Nick here, I'm glad to have you join us. Uh, so Nick is an expert in helping people navigate the stress of buying or selling a house. I would, would love, Nick, for you just to share with um, our listeners a little bit of how you got into the field Of helping people in that way through real estate?
3: Absolutely. So I started about 14 years ago and just got in and recently married and business started to pick up. I've always had a fascination in real estate in many ways. My family, I grew up in it through rental property, investment properties. A few family members have sold real estate. So I've always had this fascination with just that every day looked different and we got to come alongside people and help them experience something that doesn't happen every day, right? And so um, in a way, not necessarily hold hands, but to come alongside people. So that experience fascinated me, experiencing my parents buying a few houses and some friends over the years. And so jumped into that and um, really didn't know what I was doing to many degrees. But um, over the years, you start to gain experience and um, have certain things that kind of steer you in one direction or the, or the other like Daniel was saying earlier you know you just have these crises in life that you're just like yeah I don't really know what I'm going to do and real estate you just begin to find a niche and and part of that niche for me is just again coming alongside people and so that's that's sort
1: of how I jumped into it sure was there um was there a time maybe as you know on this journey you said you've been you know working really in the area of real estate for 14 years was there a time when, I don't know if there was a turning point or kind of a transition or if it was kind of a slow um, um, kind of realization of like, hey, I'm not just helping somebody
3: um, buy a house. It's more, it's,
1: it's it's actually more than that.
3: Yeah, that's a great question. I think for me, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, I was a youth pastor for many years and, and I just as I got into the business world, my heart never changed. My heart was always for people and to kind of help them walk through life. And so, um, I'm maybe in the back of my head or subconsciously have always had that, um, that approach in life, but it began to lay itself out over the years of, you know, the ways that me coming alongside people in that, uh, life experience or, um, that life situation that I could come along and how that played out uh, over time. So, um, there's not one unique way. I would say a lot of it is just in my heart. It's just germinated all these years, and and it has played itself out through real estate. So,
1: sure. And um, I lo- I know a little bit of the backstory. I love for you to tell our listeners of how I know you've known Daniel for a long <laughs> time, but how that really um, you guys got connected in um, in in the terms of like with Keller Williams and joining your team and sure why you kind of saw that as a need um, in that in that aspect.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So Daniel and I have known each other, same with you, John Mark, just years ago, just in youth ministry. And, and um, Daniel was probably, I don't even know, 13-something. Yeah. Middle school sometime. <laughs> yeah, there's so many stories. And we reconnected years later um, just through a men's group and just hanging out. And he's telling me the things that he's stepping into and his – his dreams of what he wants to do. And and I'm telling him where I'm at. And, um, at that same season of life, I was kind of starting to sense internally some friction and some, um, stress in my life as my business began to grow in real estate. Um, we had, uh, onboarded a few agents to help with overflow and, and client care, if you will. And, um, wasn't, it wasn't an easy transition, because now I'm not just coming alongside clients, I'm coming alongside agents. Sure. Here and Daniel talk about this emotional health and stuff like that, it started to germinate in my heart, like, wow, this this is amazing. So I took interest in it, and somehow over a few months, it, mm-hmm. maybe a year even, I don't know, yeah. It uh, Daniel has a, a past and, and still is active in real estate, and um, I just... An opportunity opened up for Daniel to kind of come on board with our team, and and I think it's twofold. One is to help with my my stress self, selfishly on my end, and and two for uh, we had agents that were on our team that were more a millennial mindset that was hard for me to, you know, I just was able to have a soundboard in Daniel, and not just any soundboard. I mean, somebody who's currently getting a master's degree, currently delving into it in a in a very very deep way. So mm-hmm. it was it was amazing. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's like
1: working with millennials, huh? So yeah. I think I'm actually, and Daniel, I guess you're the same, like, I don't know where I, I'm like, we're right on that line, right? We are very close. I've had some
2: people tell me that we are in the millennial category <laughs> being 1982, and then others that are like, no, you missed it. You're a little older than the millennials, so I don't know. So we can go either way, I guess, sure. right? Yeah, we get to pick. Identify with, is well, at the core, millennial. it's the
3: soul, right? Or it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, we true. all both have old souls. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> in a <laughs> lot of true. good ways. <laughs> Uh, so, um,
1: so yeah, I mean, that's, I guess a topic we haven't really talked much about, like, um, uh, having some other, you know, friends in real estate, um, yeah. just, you know, in that field, um, that's just, uh, what a, a, high, I don't know, high stakes or a lot of pressure, yeah. um, with, you know, a sell versus, you know, not, and, and just the inconsistency of it all,
3: um, Yes, absolutely. And there's other things that play in, like, you know, most people don't talk about their finances. When you go to buy a house, things come out of people that they're not used to dealing with. And, you know, in a lot of ways, Daniel and I talk about this is, you know, we are not just realtors. In a lot of ways, we're sort of unprofessionalized psychologists, you know? Sure. Um, And so we begin to experience that. Well, in the same sense as agents as well, those things come out, you know? And so um, Daniel's just, you know, again, the things that we shared early part of the series here or the, the show is um, it's not just for, you know, it's any profession. It's across the board. And so, um, again, going back to these young agents, just getting in, they're experiencing things. And then when money's tied to it, relationships are tied to it. And um, we get to become a huge part of that. And a lot of that is being like Daniel's friend, just, hey, man, just let's just take a deep breath. You know, let's you know they're experiencing things that they don't experience every day, and things begin to bubble out of people unexpectedly. And we have a great opportunity to speak into that and um, to kind of come alongside them. And, and again, you know, people don't buy houses, but every seven or eight years, so it doesn't come up that often. Sure. Well,
1: um, you know, you mentioned how there was kind of a, a piece of this that you were, you know, struggling with. Um, you know personally um, as far as you know dealing with some of the stress of a growing business of added employees that you're also somewhat responsible for but you also have you know clients that you're responsible for and just interested in somebody who's kind of recognize that and then Um, Been working, you know, with another with with Daniel, or you know, who's um, working uh, to develop that skill set of helping Mm -hmm. people navigate that. What what that's been like for you? um, If you even have any practical tips of things that you've learned along the way, and how to handle uh, some of that stress.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And Daniel hit on a few of them. Just taking a deep breath, and I could give you story after story that I've come to Daniel. With things and and probably his best advice that I, he's given me is just to again take a deep breath and he he's kind of helped me to understand and I feel like I've put into practice over the last couple of years of just um, you know time if if you don't respond immediately and give time it allows um, and I don't know the professional uh, terminology but you know when you're emotionally reacting mm-hmm. if you give it time and space. And you get back to that um, to your rational thought, you know. For me, that's been the most powerful advice, and I think has saved a lot of transactions. uh, If we get into the business terminology, but in the relational, um, it keeps me in a good standing with my client, as well as say a buyer or a seller on the other end. Um, So I guess just the deep breath, take a step back. and, and those are the biggest, biggest things. And um, not always saying it could be worse, but understanding that everybody in the transaction itself is doing the best that they can. And um, not necessarily giving the benefit of the doubt, but giving space for things to play out a little bit. Sure. Uh, um, I feel like it's the approach that our team takes is, you know, let's not jump to conclusions. Let's let's take um, a couple steps back and let's let this play out a little bit. At the same time, we're we're, um, we're not holding things back. We're, we're explaining, hey, this is where we're at. You know, this is where we're going the whole time, you know. Uh, so we're not holding back information, but we're also not bringing up something that may have nothing to do with the actual transaction. So. Sure.
1: I think that's a great um, tip, Nick. Like, as far as, like, an emotionally charged maybe situation, mm-hmm. whether it be buying or selling a house or any other, right, um, right? situation of like what taking a step back and um letting kind of the um the the fire kind of just settle a little bit before kind of making a what a decision um would think about even i don't know how you guys give advice like in real estate and with some of like the season here recently when maybe time um like what would you advise a client when like things are hot, like, you know, the market's fast or, you know, it may not just be house. It could be something else where um, any other situation where times like you can't just like wait on it for weeks. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How do you handle that? How do you advise, you know, clients maybe, you know, in real estate or other clients um, in that type of situation where there's a little bit of let's not jump to a decision under emotionally charged situation but we also, we need to make a decision to
2: Yeah. I'll, I'll jump in real quick. I think part of it is setting appropriate expectations. And, and again, that applies for Nick and I specifically in real estate in that, in that setting that you're talking about, John Mark, but it, it can apply in any facet industry or even with your family setting appropriate expectations is really important. So for what you just described, it's, it's letting your client know, hey, when we find the house, there's not going to be time for a second showing. We're going to need to make an offer. So just preparing them for that. And then I think it's just kind of what we've been talking about, taking a couple of minutes to acknowledge, that's tough. it's stressful. This A lot of times for people is some of the biggest transactions they're going to experience in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. And we're telling them to make that decision during a 20-minute walkthrough of a house. Sometimes it's even sight unseen. That doesn't happen as often, but it does happen sometimes. And so taking a moment to say, this is, wow, this is really, this is stressful. And that's okay. Um, but it is stressful and it's okay to, to feel that that way or feel what you're feeling. Um, I don't know if you want to yeah, add absolutely. into that.
3: I, well, I think a lot of it is just, um, there is strategy around approaching a multiple offer situation. But the biggest thing, you, you kind of nailed it in my opinion, is just... Um, just laying out an approach, and um, I tend to tell people, you know, there's houses. There's a bunch of houses on the market. A lot of it is the way we approach it, and the season. When you walk into a house, you'll have the, you'll know, you'll have a feeling. Is that a hundred percent accurate? Um, sometimes we'll have people where they don't approach it as a home, as a traditional home. Some people look at every home as a trans, as an investment transaction, right? Mm-hmm. So. That goes back to strategy and things like that. So each person's different. But overall, I think just communicating effectively before going through homes of saying, you know, us as agents understanding a little more in depth of their um, the way that they approach the world or the way they approach their family and and the security of that and then putting a plan around it. And like you said, Daniel, earlier, of just, hey, we're not going to be able to go through this house again. So when we're going through it, you know, let's, let's see if we can put you here. Um, And then most, I don't, we've had a lot of multiple offer situations this Mm -hmm. year Mm -hmm. and um, it's been, it's been a wild ride this year. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. When somebody
1: maybe has received some frustrating news, um, Mm -hmm. whether about like, Hey, we got three other offers on this house, or maybe they've um, had a home inspection or appraisal that comes back different than expected. What are um, common uh, like? How do you handle that situation? What do you advise? What do you you know? How do you communicate to somebody who's now this this emotional like ups and downs, right? of of trying to find a house and oh yeah, um, just the the roller coaster ride through
3: that. Well, not to keep going back to Daniel, but I mean empathy is is massive in this part, and just to hear them. And a lot of times it's not about the house being lost; it's just that feeling of loss. Right? It's yeah. not I mean houses sure. selling houses for so many years we understand that you can have a house and it meet all of your criteria. But you'll find that again, but a lot of times the emotional if you've already put yourself in that home, you know, that's that's the issue. It's not the loss of the home, it's that it's the loss of the feeling like you are home. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. And I think a lot of back to what we've been talking about, taking that step back, telling your client And this has been this tough, you know, it's tough to, to not won this one and and not necessarily jump back in. Like the next one, we're going to approach it this way, but let them and as well as us agents sit in that. Mm -hmm. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think it's given again, giving some space mm -hmm. to let them really feel what they're experiencing after they get that inspection report. Um, And, You know, as best we can, relating and empathizing in that moment will help them calm down. That doesn't mean that they then say, great, actually, the house is perfect. It just means that they can look at it from a more objective place
3: um, rather than subjective based on how they're feeling when they get that information. And we've had, I, I remember one client this year, they put their home search on hold for six months because the emotional toll it took Mm -hmm. but being honest allowing them to sit in it they recognized they just weren't ready and so we as a team kind of came around them or you know myself and the agent that was working with them and just said hey we just want to come alongside you and when that time's right you know let us know and we'd stay in touch with them and recently they just bought a house i mean it's been six months but that was their process right that was their walk in life and and being able to come alongside them not Say, hey, we'll get this next one and push them, not just keep pushing. um, Sounds like they had some
1: awareness. Mm -hmm. A lot. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's great. They must have had some emotional intelligence. They certainly did. Identify what their needs to. It's better to take a step back than to kind of keep going when the candle is kind of burning pretty low. Well, um, I don't know if there's any other tips for like um, that you would even kind of leave our listeners with when it kind of comes down to like making a decision on something big like that. You know, we're talking the example of, you know, buying a house and, um, you know, there's a lot that goes into that, you know, um, just those kind of that that those big decisions and the decision, you know, needs to be made. And any other kind of tips that you, you know, find really help your clients um, to come to just, a, you know, just a healthy decision?
3: Well, for me, I would say, um, and this is sort of a reoccurring comment that I make to most clients, is let's not jump to conclusions, as I mentioned earlier, because I think that we live in a culture that is accusatory. Mm -hmm. And so when anything does not go your way, especially buying a house when it's emotional, relational, it's just exhausting in many ways. If you're not working with the right agent or if the process has been lengthy, it just starts to wear on you. And what begins to happen and because we're naturally human is we accuse others, right? And so I'm trying to continually say, hey, I know this is not going our way right now, but you know, it's not necessarily this person's fault or this person's fault. And I don't do it in a way that is um not allowing blame to be in a certain way, but I just think we respond always as humans in a reactionary way, and it sure. tends to be negative. And so just trying to get them back on board in a positive light, that that is usually my focus. And so I would just encourage anybody going through the home buying or selling process, you know, just um, it's not always smooth, but you can control the way that you are um, – walking through that process, you can control your emotions. And mm-hmm. a lot of times, to be honest with you, I mean, that dictates the outcome of the process, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and again, that's not 100% foolproof. There's nothing foolproof. Sure. But um, but we can control our emotions, and that's the biggest thing. And, and being educated, those are probably the two two biggest things mm-hmm.
1: for me. want to really transition to um, the rest of our podcast questions Yeah, um, to finish up. But before um, we do, Neko, I'd love to. I uh, uh, had a question for you. Sure. I was wondering the last time you watched um, an Adam Sandler movie. I remember <laughs> probably going through the Adam Sandler trilogies of um, Happy Gilmore um, back in high school in your living room.
3: Oh, was the last time you
1: it. watched the Adam Sandler movie?
3: It's uh, it's sad but true. It's probably been not too long, a month. <laughs> so uh, is he still
1: producing movies? I love
3: it. You know, um, we had a guys' night not too long ago, and we we broke out a uh, Adam Sandler and Will Ferrell movie. Okay, and that's so, awesome. Uh, ironic that you asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I, I mean, I must
1: have been. I mean, I must junior senior year. Oh, in your um, in your basement there at the house and watching yeah watching happy Gilmore and the whatever the other ones well there's Billy Madison, oh, Billy yeah. Madison Billy not to Madis. get too far yeah. off topic so I think <laughs> humor's never wrong uh, derailed so uh, if you hadn't so maybe that's a healthy let's tie this back in so sometimes you need a good laugh right yeah, that's Absolutely. true and um if you're going through a stressful situation get yourself an Adam Sandler movie right oh
3: yeah can't go wrong <laughs> all right can't go wrong <laughs> um
1: all right guys um well, uh, I like to talk about Knoxville. This is a Knoxville podcast. It's for the Knoxville community and encourages people to explore. So I'd love to hear from you guys. What's um, something, uh, Knoxville, greater kind of East Tennessee area, something on your bucket list that you'd like to do?
2: Well, uh, I'll jump in here. I actually got to do it about a week ago. So I was born and raised here in Knoxville, and most Knoxvillians know that in 1982 the World's Fair was here while we which is why we have the Sun Sphere downtown. Um, I'd never been in it. I'm 36 and had admired it from a distance my whole life. So uh, about about a week ago, I got to walk through it with a friend there, and um, it was pretty amazing. The views are incredible. Um, so that was really fun, especially when I got to tell my kids, hey, you know what? I got to go in the Sun Sphere, and they're like, no way.
3: <laughs> That's so
2: awesome. They may end up getting there before they're 36. We'll see.
1: Do they have a tour? Can you just get up there? We can line
2: that up. Uh, I don't know if there's official tour. That's a good question. (laughs) But yeah, we can help with that.
1: (laughs) All right. You guys might be getting some phone calls
3: here. Um, Nick, what about you? Well, for me, mine would probably be I've never run a half marathon let alone a full marathon, but I'd like to run in the Covenant. Is the Covenant Marathon yeah. the one that runs into the football stadium? Yes.
2: It used well, to. They actually uh, just uh, changed it, so now it ends at World's Fair Park.
3: Wasn't that
1: just a temporary
2: change? Oh, was it? Maybe. I thought it was... I might be wrong. Maybe I, they're going back to Nalen Stadium. was Maybe it's
1: to run up the Sunsphere. Yeah, all those stairs. I thought it was something Maybe with construction or something, but uh, okay. you know, people check on
3: that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, mine would be to run I would like to run the my first half or full marathon here in Knoxville awesome. and, and um but I will say I spent a night at LeConte which I've always wanted to do and so I stayed over one night nice. recently with some buddies and um it was a great experience and it was the last time that you actually could have a um I don't know what they call them scholarship where you can go every year at the same date like now oh, it's yeah. a raffle so it's kind of cool Oh that's awesome um but man if you've never hiked that or or been up there I've never stayed in the lodge I've been up there yeah that that was for me it was I got to stay this time and it was it was amazing so one of the first times
1: was cross country training and oh, that I'm sure you were I was just wrong. thinking They're about down. that yeah running up to the Lacan in 8th grade I guess
2: yeah I don't know if you remember this part but we were throwing rocks off the top and people
1: <laughs> started
2: yelling from below because we were hitting them on accident
1: we didn't see them in the trees I do remember that <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious right. um all right, guys, with um, love to hear, what's one of your guys' favorite things to do around Knoxville?
2: That's a great question. I love to just go downtown around Market Square and walk. And with the kids, sometimes they play in that fountain there at Market Square and get soaked and even in their normal clothes. But um, just being down there, whether it's um, during one of the festivals or, or really any time, is really fun for our family.
3: Yeah, I would... Second that to a good degree. And we, my family with two little kids, we go to the farmer's market typically almost every Saturday morning. The and market square. The, the market square farmer's market. Sure. Yeah. And we just walk around. They got the fountains and, um, you know, it's that's our little cheers, if you will, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Nice.
1: Does that, you guys know um, if that runs the farmer's market? How far through the, it goes through Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. At least Christmas. Yeah. This will, um, I'm not sure. Coming out in November. Right. So you guys check. I'm sure you, uh, if you want to do that, uh, mm-hmm. it's something to definitely hit up. Well, it's definitely during the ice skating, right? True, because, yeah, right. they have so the rink up there. It goes through the winter or uh, through the Christmas time. So uh, let's hear about a favorite restaurant.
2: Oh, man, mine is Adopo. Their pizza is unreal. Mm-hmm. Love it. My wife and I both love going there. Where is Adopo? It's um, just north of downtown. So if you can um, just go... Where Regas Square is, or the old Regis
3: restaurant, it's just about a block north of there. So uh, mine would be probably Amelia. We really like that. And, um, it's in Market Square, so we visit that a lot. So nice. I mean, but that's I love Adopo. I just don't want to keep saying the same things as Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> but we do. My wife and I. That is sort of a date spot that we like to go to. Amelia is just really good. So and Keffi's. Now, I was traveling oh, back yeah. there um, last week. I don't really, really? get out much, wow. don't
1: get downtown much, but I went out for my birthday with my parents. And That's awesome. I went to Kefi and it was amazing. So awesome good to hear. Another, um, place there at the old city mm-hmm. to not look into. Uh, so, I'm um, going to wrap it up. Uh, what would you guys have for our listeners on one of your best tips, recommendations for staying healthy?
2: I'll jump in here. I, I think, um, you know, what we've been talking about today is really important in staying healthy from an emotional standpoint. And that's finding some safe friends. Um, there's a lot of research out there. I won't get into it right now, but uh, loneliness is a, a pretty dangerous place for people. And unfortunately, it's pretty common in culture today. Um, so having a few safe people that you can be yourself with, be honest with, be vulnerable, but also just have fun too is is really important and really good for people's health in my opinion
3: great nick well (laughs) uh one of the things i'm um my wife has me eating no meat mondays so nice eating less meat red meat that is um yeah on mondays i'll stretch it sometimes (laughs) you know (laughs) so i'm personally just trying to you know cut back some cut back on some red meat gotcha. so.
1: all right well um, if our listeners uh, have a need uh, potentially buying or selling a house Nick why don't you go th- uh, first how
3: can people um, get in ton get in contact with you absolutely uh, the best way is probably our website which is the Nicknico and if you don't know how to spell my last name it'll be in the show notes but it's N-I-C-A-U-D, D is in David. And Nick uh, with no K. Nick with no K. The Nick Nico Team.com. Yeah, right. That's good. Uh, and then Daniel, tell us um,
1: who um, who you work with, and then who may be interested in also contacting you and what you do.
2: Yeah, great question. So, um, you know, on one hand, I still do sell real estate too, but also really getting into what what most people call coaching or consulting, and that's both with individual leaders. So some clients are just um, uh, leaders in their community or in their organization, and it's a lot of one-on-one work. I uh, will give the caveat, I'm not a licensed therapist, and so I, I think those people are amazing, but that's not what I do. This is a little more looking forward, less looking back, so if that makes sense for people, how do we get to where they want to be personally, professionally, in their family life, or in the social life, um, and then also from an organizational standpoint, so working with companies to help them establish really healthy practices in their culture to build up trust within their organization. Um, The goal there is that their employees, the happier and healthier they are, the more productive they are, and the less turnover that the organization experiences. So um, those are really two groups, leaders and organizations, love to work with. So um, we are launching a company called Leadership, uh, sorry, Sequoia Leadership, Collective, and the website is leadershipcollective.net.
1: Gotcha. Awesome. Yep. Great, guys. Well, it's been a blast having you guys on the show. Yeah, this is fun. Yeah, thanks for having us. This is great. I love, love the memories in the, and where we're at. Yep. Definitely. Well, thank you for our listeners uh,
0: for hanging on here to the end. Uh, stay healthy, Knoxville. Thank you for tuning in to the Stay Healthy Knoxville podcast, brought to you by Simply Physio. If your pain is preventing you from staying healthy and active, and you'd like to avoid surgery, pain medicine, or just want to get back to doing the things you love in and around Knoxville, we offer both a free ebook and free over-the-phone consultation to help you figure out the root cause of your pain and the next best steps for resolving it. Find our ebooks online at simplypt.com health tips. There, you will find ebooks for topics such as neck and shoulder pain, lower back and hip pain, knee pain, and TMJ. These quick to read reports will provide you with expert tips, tricks, and exercises to help solve your pain from the comfort of your own home. Just visit simplypt.com health tips to download your ebook and have it delivered directly to your inbox. We also offer free, no obligation phone consultations with a doctor of physical therapy to Knoxville area residents. Just call us at 865 351 0615 or visit us at simplypt.com and click the Talk to a PT button on the home page to schedule a call with us. Thanks again for joining us, and we will see you next time on the Stay Healthy Knoxville Podcast.